2: Hello, and how are you? I truly pray you are well and or you're getting well. If you're not well, I pray that you are getting well. That's what this show is all about, is helping people to get well. Happy Monday to you. In spite of what you may be going through, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to let you know that God loves you. This is a day that He has made. And you know what? We can rejoice because we are still here. We are still in the land of the living. So whatever you may be going through, there is still time. There is still time for you To have a better life, a better outcome, for you to be fulfilled, for you to be set free, for you to be delivered. If you've been listening to our show, then you know, uh, last week we talked about cheating. Cheating. C-H-E-A-T-I-N-G. C-H-E-A-T-I-N-G. Yes, cheating. (laughs) Cheating. And I had a lot to say about that, and my honey, Minister Chris, had some things to say about that. We had some people call in, and I know that some of you are expecting us to continue that, but we will have to pick that topic up next week because we have a very, a very special guest joining us on the air tonight. Our guest is... Her name is Veronica Wright. She authored her very own story of childhood sexual abuse. Just like me, she has a story to tell. Um, She was also the victim of generational curses from her family's involvement with a satanic cult uh She will share her story with us and tell us how the love of Jesus set her free okay that's what we want to share on this show we we i share you I share with you my story and I read to you from the book at different times because I want you to know that well, for one, thing, for, for one thing, we want to put this out there, people. We want people to know that this is happening, that this is not isolated. It is not somewhere off in the wild blue yonder. It is happening regularly every day. Millions of people are being sexually abused or they are abusing themselves or they are abusing someone else in their lifestyles or in their preferences Or not by choice, okay? There's all different forms of sexual abuse. So, Veronica is going to join us and she's going to tell us her story. I am drinking green tea. Let's see, tonight my flavor is organic green tea, jasmine tea. Green tea scented with fresh jasmine blossoms. I decided to switch up on you guys, okay, just because I can. (laughs) So, you know the deal. Get your tea. If you don't have it already, you know you should have it by now. And get ready to hear a powerful testimony, okay? Let's see. I'm going to answer and see if Veronica is listening and waiting.
3: Are you there, Miss Veronica? I am. Thank you for having me on tonight. Oh, thank
2: you for being on tonight. How are you?
3: I'm doing great. How
2: are you? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. (laughs) I'm so glad to have you on the air with me. As you know, because we've we've already talked, that um, you are my first official guest on the show.
3: I know. How exciting. I feel so privileged.
2: (laughs) I, uh, I, I try to be very careful about who I have come on the show because I don't do this for sensationalism. I don't do this, you know, just for shock appeal and to get ratings. I do this like you do this because I love the Lord, first of all, and I want to share and tell people of his goodness, and I want to help as many people as I possibly can get free from abuses that they may have suffered, specifically sexual abuse. So that's why I do this, and that's why I've asked you to come on the air, because I did read your book, and it was a very powerful testimony. And other than the break times, because there are some required breaks that we have to take, other than the break times, I'm just going to let you go for it.
3: Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, well I appreciate um, having talked to you the several times that I have and you know hearing your heart and knowing what God has called you to do I most certainly am in alignment with it I agree that God wants to set people free and that it is pervasive the subject that we're talking about although um, a lot of people don't like to discuss it and it can be uncomfortable the reality is just this Statistically speaking, one in four females falls victim to it and one in five or to seven males will before age 18. And you talk to any authority, um, federal authority or law enforcement agency, and they would say those are probably very conservative estimates. And both you and I would fall into that category most assuredly. The thing that is also very heartbreaking is that those statistics are no different inside the church than they are outside.
4: Hmm. which Mm -hmm. means
3: that we are definitely preaching to the choir on this one. Hmm. And Satan most assuredly does his best work in the dark. As a matter of fact, that's the only time that he can work is in the dark. So when we can bring this issue to light and shine God's word on the subject and what Mm -hmm. he has to say about it, Mm -hmm. then it dispels the darkness and we can set the captives free.
2: Amen. Um, so Amen. I'll, I'll
3: go ahead and go into my testimony and what led me to this place because I was not counted as that one in four. I most um, I would qualify to say that yes, those con- that it, those statistics are very conservative. They're probably um, underestimated because I didn't come out with my testimony or make any type of public declarations of what happened to me until I was in my forties. Um, Mm -hmm. As many women entering into their 30s and 40s, this is when it often will come out. Life Mm -hmm. changes, transitions in life, Um, birthing children. There's all sorts of triggers that will cause you just have to start facing this stuff. Well, Mm -hmm. being raised, and this is what's uh, very alarming, is having been raised in a Christian home. um, Mm -hmm. This is something that I honestly felt like I never had to deal with. My life verse was, "Old things have passed away, and behold, I make all things new. My second verse was that God's grace is sufficient. And so as far as I was concerned, His grace was enough to cover up the past, but I never had to face it. I, I could just plead grace over it.
4: Mm-hmm. I
3: praised Him for being alive. I praised Him for being in my right mind. And then, you know, I was able to marry and, and have four children, active in the ministry, was in the ministry for close to 20 years, hmm. had gotten... Um, um, in a position of a church, a pretty predominant church here in California in South Orange County, it is, I think it has a membership of 25,000, um, hmm. and on any given weekend you can have twenty-five to 30,000 that go through there. Mm -hmm. Having been in ministry, in women's ministry there for years, Um, I had gotten promoted and kind of positioned. Now, mind you, I'm not even going to say that God promoted me. Um, There was a whole lot of jockeying for positions, and and my... um, my whole uh, self worth was really based in who I was in church, what type of title I could carry, um, mm-hmm. that meant a lot to me, and mm-hmm. so I had gotten to where I was actually the leader of leaders I would um, here we had seasoned pastors wives that were most certainly ten to fifteen years my senior, and I was their trainer, and I would be their teacher on the monthly um, training meetings. God really had blessed this this ministry and I then, in my own time, I was, I belonged to a small group, a women's group, beautiful group of women. There was 12 of us, and we were just very tight, close knit. And we studied Beth Moore's um, devotionals quite a bit, and we happened to be in her Daniel study. And as I was reading this, and I had, you know, been raised with the Daniel. I knew about Daniel and the lion's den and, and him giving the prophecies of the future. Um, so this was, it was almost going to be old news to me. Um, but I'm always fascinated with end-time prophecies. And so I thought this would be just an excellent study. And it most certainly did not disappoint. But the thing that really struck me, and for whatever reason, it was just God's timing in my life. I read Veronica. this. Well, yes. Veronica.
2: Yes. I just want to give you a heads up that we got about a minute before our first break. So continue your thought, and then when the music comes on, just know that we're coming back, okay?
3: Okay, thank you. (laughs) Um, Then I'll just let you know that at this particular time, when I was looking at the book of Daniel, I noticed the partnership that he had with God. And so I made a very brazen prayer. I was getting ready for Bible study one day, and I sat down on the rim of my tub, and I said, God, I want to partner with you for the miraculous. I want to see your hand in my life like I see it that it was in Daniel's life. I want to work with you to get your word out there, and I am amazed that you would ever even partner with mankind.
2: Okay. Be back after the break, people.
1: has a tragic past shattered your future or your now don't let it this is i'm not the woman i used to be i'm free with minister diane jones and we'll be right back after these
0: we'd like to thank our sponsor liberty christian center located in box elder south dakota they are a non-denominational bible-based holy spirit led deliverance ministry Pastor Charles and Romika White, Liberty Christian Center. Mind Matters is the show that dares to ask what's on your mind. Take this opportunity to join Dr. Larry Ross, clinical psychologist, and Joan Duhane, licensed clinical social worker, as they combined have over 50 years of experience in dealing with your mind. Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, only on TogiNet Radio.
5: Thank God. I.
2: Okay, people, we are listening to Miss Veronica Wright and she was just telling us how she began to talk to the Lord and asked the Lord to partner with her and she wanted to see the miraculous in her life. So please continue where you are, Miss Veronica.
3: Absolutely. Um I, um I will confess that when I prayed that prayer and I asked the Lord to partner with me for the miraculous, I honestly thought that I would see the miraculous take place in the world around me. That was my intention is that I could minister more effectively, that maybe even lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I just wanted to have a double portion of anointing is what I was going after. I was so hungry for God and studying Daniel like I was doing. I absolutely was obsessed with getting to know my maker even more intimately. God would surprise me, however. God absolutely did partner with me for the miraculous, but he was more concerned about the miraculous taking place inside of me than he was around me. He knew that we had a whole lot of work that needed to be done, and he chose that point in my life when I would be so hungry for him and almost at a point of desperation that he was willing to do the work, and he knew I would be willing to do the work. Um, At this particular season in my life also, um, it was about four years ago, so it's rather recently, um, the economy was beginning to turn, and um, people would be going into financial crisis. A lot of people, especially here in South Orange County, the economy was hit hard. Um, Multi-million dollar homes were now being reduced to the $100,000 ranges, and um, it was just being devastating. However, my husband and I entered into it almost nine months, maybe even 12 months, before anyone else had, because he had lost his job. And so he had been out of work for close to nine months, we had just purchased our dream home. So here we are in a multimillion-dollar home um, now without any salary coming in. And my, although my husband did find employment, we realized that we weren't going to be able to salvage it, that we were going to have to what's called short-sell our home. Now, nowadays, that is kind of commonplace, a lot of people are having a short sale, many people have gone into foreclosure, but four years ago we were one of the first ones in our community. Nobody else, everyone could kind of see it on the horizon, but nobody had entered into it, and we had. Now, at this particular time, normally my husband and I in a crisis, one will be strong when the other one is, you know, feeling the blows and vice versa. We tend to lean in towards each other, but on this particular occasion, we turned on each other. We became very hostile towards each other. Um, it was a volatile mix. My husband, as a result of a lost job, and then now that he was employed again, realizing that he wasn't going to be able to salvage us financially to save our home, he started going into a very dark place, a, a depression that I'd never seen in him before. And it manifested in anger and resentment. Um, I didn't really know what to do with that, being raised with a mom who was depressed. He was absolutely triggering me. So here we've been married for 23 years, and all of a sudden we're bringing things out in each other that has never happened before. I pulled him aside, and I said, listen, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care anything about the house. It's brick and mortar. But what I do care about is our relationship, and I'm scared. that These things that are going on and turning on each other, it's getting bad. But my husband was literally um, beyond logic at this particular time in his life. He was just in the depths of despair, and mm-hmm. he had, you know, he just felt like he had suffered so much loss. Um, we had we were able to sell that house, and then we moved into a rental property, and I was just thrilled because the Lord did bless us with a, a good home. I was concerned because of our credit history. We wouldn't even be able to rent anything. I mean, we, we thought we could be facing homelessness. We just didn't know. We'd always known that God had always provided for us in the past, and I was pressing into God. I, I'd never needed him like I needed him then. We did. The Lord showed us favor, and we were able to rent a home. We didn't upset our, disturb our children's lives too much because we were able to stay in, in relatively the same communities. so they were in the same schools. I thought that was going to make everything better, that my husband was going to be on the fast track of seeing that, okay, you know, God's going to repair this. We're going to be fine. I put so much of my stock on my husband's well-being. I took my focus off of God, and when he didn't come around, and when he was still in a, a bad way, um, I reached a breaking point. I absolutely reached a breaking point, and all the things that I had wrestled with in my childhood, that I successfully was able to keep down for all these years, were being, now starting to bubble up. And mm-hmm. the reason being is because my life was always relatively calm on the exterior, and so I. I could use all my energy to keep all those memories suppressed. And I, sh- I shouldn't say suppressed as and forgotten. I always remembered everything. But I never had to deal with anything. But now I didn't have enough energy to keep those <laughs> demons quiet. I have so much chaos going on in my house and my marriage and everything that's going on around me that now this stuff is now having a chance to give voice. So one day I had come home, and I was just a woman on the edge. I was absolutely on the brink. And I just thought, I, just please, please, not one more fight. I can't. I don't have it in me. And I walked in, and I was kind of walking on eggshells. I was just trying to keep the peace. And my husband snapped, and any woman who is in her right mind, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But to me, it literally rocked my world. When my husband snapped like that, and, and it just said some sort of a comment, um, it was so personal, and it was it met with a violent reaction in me. I stormed upstairs, threw my um, suitcase on the bed, and began packing it. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting out. My fight-flight tendencies were in high swing, and I knew that I was going to be a blemish on God at this point. I'm thinking, I'm giving God a black eye. I'm going to have to step down from everything I've built up in church. My children are going to be in disrepair. My marriage is going to be wrapped. I mean, everything was imploding, everything. I go marching out the house, and I thought, I don't even have anywhere to go. I mean, I wasn't exactly a woman with a game plan. Everything was just such a knee-jerk reaction. I came back a little later that night, and we began to talk, and I said, listen, you're scheduled to go on a business trip anyways in the next week. Um, In this next week, let's not talk to each other. You're going to be out of town anyways. I'm going to go ahead and find a marriage counselor. We need to go get help because now we need third-party intervention. Our marriage is collapsing, and we can't do this on our own anymore. We've tried, and we are failing at it. We need help. And my husband agreed and um He was just terrified. He had never seen me on the edge like this before, and I had never seen him in in such a bad way before. So he had taken off um, for that next week. Now, mind you, this is after 23 years of marriage. We've never gone one day without talking to each other, not one day. My husband would sometimes travel to Shanghai, to Australia. He would travel around the world. We would still talk, even with the time differences. And this particular time, we would go five days without speaking to each other, just because we needed to let the dust settle. I did make an appointment with a licensed clinical psychologist who happened to be a Christian, and I went in to talk to him about my marriage and everything that was going on in my life. I didn't realize how close to the edge I was until later he would say that he came very close to writing admittance papers for me. I looked like I was about one you know, just one argument or just one trauma short of going off the edge and never being pulled back mm-hmm. up again. Mm-hmm. So for the next hour and a half, we were talking about my marriage. We, it never occurred to me to bring up anything in the past because I never talked about anything in the past. As far as I was concerned, it was irrelevant. It had nothing to do with my present. And so as we were talking, he said, okay, will your husband... Will he come in for counseling? I said, well, he will now. I mean, absolutely. We're both, you know, at our within. We don't know what to do. This was a Thursday. My husband was coming home on a Friday. And I said, well, what am I going to do when he comes home tomorrow night? I'm, I'm scared. I don't even know how to handle this anymore. And he then, after a series of kind of options, he said, what you need to do is tonight you call your husband. You let him know that you've talked to me. And then I'm setting up ground rules, and the ground rules are that you guys are not allowed to talk to each other until you're in the presence of a third party, and that will be me. And he said, now can you be here on Saturday? And I said, um, well, yeah, I, I suppose so. I said, do you work on Saturdays? And he goes, no, actually I don't, but I can see that we have an emergency situation here, so I will come in first on Saturday for you guys. So my husband came home. And he, you know, we both abided by the ground rules. We actually took separate cars into counseling um, appointment that day to ensure that we didn't get into a bickering and squabbling fight on the way down to the counselor's office. We got there, and he laid down the ground rules of what we were going to be getting into. And, you know, to my shame, and and I have to say, that I wasn't going to counseling to repair my marriage. I was going to counseling so that when I filed for divorce, I could say, see, I even tried counseling. I've tried everything, and it didn't work. I was only covering my bases. My heart most certainly wasn't in this. And the reason why I say that is that any of you who are out there hurting and you've hit rock bottom, let me tell you, God will take whatever he can get from you. It was an act of obedience for me to show up in that office, but I, it was that my heart was not being obedient, but God was able to work with me anyway. And so we were sitting in his office, and the counselor then i he we were talking, and my husband and I were um discussing finances that started getting heated and I kind of tuned out, I just kind of looked out the other way, and my husband was talking, and the counselor was talking, but apparently I was exuding the fact that I most certainly wasn't paying attention to anything and Dr. Storm, who was our counselor, said, "Now listen, you guys, I'm going to take this very seriously." And one day I'm going to be standing before God and he's going to ask me if I've done everything in my power to save the marriage of Jerry and Veronica Wright. And I will in good conscience be able to say that I have. But make no mistake, you're going to be standing before God one day and he's going to be asking you the very same question. Will you be able to say that you have done everything in your power to save this marriage? And it... It rattled me. It got my attention. I looked at him, and, and I was more upset than I was convicted. I thought, well, you know, who put the burr under your saddle? I just didn't even know why he would care so badly. And I was kind of angry at him for even suggesting such a thing. But I'm a, I'm a good girl by appearance, and so I thought, well, I know the right answer, and I want him on my side and not my husband's side, so I'm going to say what's right. And I said, well, yes, I'm going to do everything in my power to make this work. And he said, okay, Jerry, are you in? And there I said, yes that concluded our first session. So we left, and I thought, well, doggone, I've got to go back. And so we went okay, back. Okay, Veronica. Yeah.
2: Just giving you a hint. It's one minute now till the next break, so continue.
3: <laughs> oh, okay, so I'll be getting to a cliffhanger here. Diana. <laughs> so um, I go back. We go back just a couple of days later. We're on the fast track here. And when we were sitting in his office, the the counselor said something that I I didn't know if it was completely brilliant or by divine inspiration. And after I got to know him, it was a little bit of both. He said, I need to know your background so so I can know what it is that you're pulling from. But I don't want you telling me your own childhood. Jerry, I want you to tell me Veronica's childhood and her family dynamics as you see them today. And Veronica, you tell me Jerry's childhood and his family dynamics as you see them today. That one question radically not only changed my marriage, but it dramatically changed my life. And we would then go quickly from marriage counseling to Veronica counseling. It was all going to be surfaced.
2: Hmm. here come the tunes people that means this break time and we will hear more from veronica i i have read the book and i'm still sitting on the edge of my seat after the break
1: <laughs> has a tragic past shattered your future or your now don't let it this is i'm not the woman i used to be i'm free with minister diane jones and we'll be right back after these Girlfriended is on tugging
0: Our mission is to equip and mature the people God calls to do the things they are called to do with confidence and boldness and to create soldiers for the army of the Lord and to impact our communities. If you are not local, you may participate via conference calls or we can make information available to you via email. Equipping the Saints Ministries is home-based in Maryland. You may write to us at Post Office Box 1616, Clinton, Maryland, 20735. Or email us at vir2us1 at verizon.net. Thank
5: God.
2: Hey, people, you are listening to Veronica Wright, author of Boxes of Secrets. I don't want to take any of her time, so she is back on the air right now.
3: Okay, so we'll pick back up at that counseling session. <laughs> yes. I went ahead and started, and I, I, you know, the typical female, so I'm way into details. I started at the birth of my husband, went through every childhood event, and took the counselor all the way up to the family dynamic as I saw it today. And then, you know, Dr. Storm looked at Jerry and said, you know, is that accurate? Is that how you, you see it? And Jerry said, yeah, you know, she nailed it. That's pretty, that's pretty accurate. He goes, okay, it's your turn to tell me about Veronica's childhood. My husband started when I was 17. And he said, well, you know, I met Veronica when she was 17, and he started talking about the events. And there's one thing that he said that I will never, ever forget. He said, now, I want you to understand that I don't use this phrase flippantly. I know people do, but I don't. He said, but I'm going to tell you something, and I mean it. Veronica's mom is evil. What she has done to Veronica and to the family line is nothing short of devastating. Veronica was abused by her mother in her childhood, and it continues on through her adulthood. And that, my my mind kind of landed there. And my husband continued to chronicle things about from 17 and on and through the adulthood. And I, I was thinking, my gosh, why did he start at age 17? Uh, now, men tend to be more fact-based You know, and they're not going to embellish, they're not going to do things like that. And I thought, well, that's where my husband met me is when I was 17. So perhaps that's when he started because that's what he witnessed. And I thought, no, because that's not what the doctor asked him to do, and he would have done it if he had the information to do it. And it was the first time in our 23-year history that I thought, my gosh, I've never talked about my childhood. Now, my hand to heaven, it was something that was never intentional. I never intentionally hid anything. It was something that once that you are sworn to secrecy by the person who has done the devastation and you enter that into that pact, that secrecy pact as a child, unless it's corrected in adulthood, those secrets remain with you. It never occurs to you to speak of them. And here I am thinking he doesn't even know. He has no idea, and it never occurred to me that my husband didn't know because I didn't talk about it. I assumed that he knew, but he decided not to talk about it. Nothing made sense in that, that five-minute segment. My mind was a flurry. After he got through with, you know, anal- or getting the information out there for Dr. Storm, I was again puzzled because then Dr. Storm looked at me. He said, well, Veronica, is that accurate? And he was looking at me with such compassion. And I thought, okay, the things that Jerry was even telling him, that wasn't the bad stuff. I mean, Jerry was talking about it as though it was so horrible, and yet that's not even the worst of the worst. And so I looked at him. I said, yeah, yeah, that would be accurate. And he said, oh, well, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that's how it was. And I was literally confused. And I went, well, thank you. And he said, well, was anyone in your family safe? That question forever changed my life. I looked at him and with a smile on my face, I said, yes, my brother was safe. And he said, oh, well, good. I'm glad your brother was safe. And the minute he repeated those words back to me, Something went off on the inside of me where I literally want to jump off the couch and start screaming at him, how dare he say my brother was safe. Because I knew what I meant when I said that. When I said my brother was safe, I meant he was safe, except for when he wasn't safe. And when it compared to every other member of my family, my brother was the least of my worries. And yet my brother was hardly the safe one. And I looked at him and I didn't know what to say because my mind is now, it was like God just started breaking the shackles. I mean, blinders were beginning to fall off my eyes. Mm -hmm. It was such a divine appointment. It was a God moment. And I would have, it was just like when um, Jacob was wrestling with the angel and then he would look back and said, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. And that, or when he had the, I'm sorry, with the vision of the ladder. And that's what it would be. Is I didn't know it at the time, that that was a God moment. But I look back and go, surely the Lord was in that place, and I didn't even know it. That was the beginning of the unpacking of every secret that I'd ever had. Because I went home that night, and Dr. Storm's words just kept resonating with me. Uh, well, I'm glad your brother was safe. And I kept thinking, why would he say that? Surely he knows what all older brothers do to younger sisters. How dare he say that to me? me I'm allowed to say it because I say it in a context he's saying it as though it's a fact and he knows he's a licensed psychologist that every brother does that to their sister And I started just turning that in my mind, and my heart was racing, and it was like I thought I was seriously going to have a heart attack. I'd never had such anxiety as I had that night. I couldn't go to bed because my mind was racing. I tried to sit on the couch. I couldn't sit on the couch. I was like a caged animal. I just kept pacing back and forth going, why would he say it? Why would he say it? And then I had this aha divine moment when the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, unless It isn't normal, and that was the first time it ever occurred to me, and I sit back, and I went, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, it's not normal what my brother did to me. It wasn't normal. Oh, what am I going to do? I began to flip out. I couldn't even sleep that night. The next day, I waited until it was time that I knew Dr. Starr would be in his office, and then I didn't even know if he would see me because, um, you know, now we're going in as a couple, and I didn't know if he would see me without Jerry there, but I didn't want Jerry to know. And so I, I called him up and I asked if I could come in that day that some, I'd been thinking about some things and I just wanted to run them past him. And he said, yes, absolutely, you can come in at 3.30. Now, this is one thing that I didn't know. After my first appointment with him that day when I was just a woman on the edge, the Lord had told him in his quiet time devotion, he said, that, that woman Veronica that I've put into your office, I've put her in your office for a reason. I'm beginning a work. And whenever she needs to see you, you are to clear your calendar and get her in there. I'm mm-hmm. going to use you to help minister the healing. And mm-hmm. he now partnered with God to now work with me. And so I don't even know that it's rare to be able to get into a counselor within an hour's notice. I have no idea. I've never been to a counselor a day in my life. He called in, uh, these patients. He rearranged his schedule so I could come in to see him that day. I drive in, and I'm sitting there, and I'm shaking because I am so nervous. And he said, yes, you said you had something on your mind. And I said, well, the other day you asked if anyone was – and the family was um, safe to me, and I said my brother was safe, and he goes, yes. And I said, but the thing is, when you said it back to me, well, I think maybe you misunderstood. I meant that my brother was safe, except for when he wasn't safe. And he got really quiet. He looked at me, and he said, okay, well, when wasn't he safe? And I kind of hemmed in the hod and I said, well, when I was 11, and my parents were both working and my sister was also working. My parents left him in charge. And I began to explain that my brother had started molesting me this summer that I was eleven and he had access to me all summer long, all day long, for hours at a time. Mm-hmm. And his face changed dramatically and he said, Veronica, are you telling me what I think you're telling me? And I, I couldn't even say the words. I just looked at him and I said, I think so. He said, are you telling me that your brother molested you? I never wanted that name and that word linked to my name, never. I looked at him and I had a choice to make. Am I willing to own my past and now start dealing with it or am I going to deny it? And I looked at him and I said, yes, my brother molested me. And he said, I am so sorry. When was the last time? And I said, I was 18 years old. It went on and off for close to seven years, and I had never told a soul. That began the unpacking, and I was able, because the Lord used him in such a dramatic way, and he handled it with such care, I then began testing him each and every time because Telling him that little dark secret was actually, I unpacked my boxes with him, the most minor of the secrets first, which that would be my brother, on up to the most heinous. And that's why I wrote the the book called Boxes of Secrets, is that in my young childhood state, when I suffered my first violation, God gave me an amazing coping ability to where I was able to create this mental storage room. And every violation, every memory that I have, I would pack neatly in this box. And, and they all had their own independent boxes. And I would, I would be able to go into this memory bank of boxes and I could do so because everything was contained and everything was housed so pristinely that it was safe to me. And so whenever I talk about my memories, I always talk about, I'm, I'm, I'm going to unpack another box for you right now because my, my memories are still in boxes. That's one thing that I, I've come to understand about the goodness and faithfulness of God. is In Jeremiah, he, told, he tells us that he knows us and he knew us before he ever placed us in our mother's womb. And that word knew does not mean that he had head knowledge of us. That word new is intimately acquainted with. That before I was ever a seed in my mom's belly, that he knew what family I was going to be born into. He knew what childhood I was going to be met with. And so he gave me, he formed me to be able to do this. And that he gave that as a gift and he's not going to strip it away. And that God doesn't take away coping mechanisms, he's redeems them that God comes in and says, yes, I've given you that ability, but you're not going to rest on it. I'm not going to take it away. I gave it to you to begin with. You're going to now learn that you don't have to trust in it. You can trust in me. And it starts to shift, and, and the, the who God is and the paradigm shift all begins to change. And so after that unbelievable unveiling in his office that I never thought I would be able to do, Um, Dr. Storm then continued rocking my world by saying okay well um
2: okay here we are with uh, uh, the tunes and another break so I have to interrupt you right there Miss Veronica hey people don't leave your seat back after break
1: has a tragic past shattered your future or your now don't let it This is I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm Free with Minister
0: Diane Jones. And we'll be right back after these. The Story of Me is a captivating and inspiring account of a woman able to overcome incest, abuse, and neglect to find a second chance at happiness. It is a story for those who have loved and been rejected, who have dreamt and fallen short who have survived abuse molestation rape or incest the story of me is very inspirational for those who may see or find themselves in diane jones's story you may purchase your copy of the story of me online at www.authorhouse.com or any of the major bookstores
5: I am free. I am
1: free. Welcome back to I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free on TogiNet.com. The show dedicated to helping women find their way back to themselves after innocence was stolen by incest and abuse. Helping you heal. It's what we're all about. It's I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm free on TogiNet. And now, back to your host, Minister Diane Jones.
2: All right, people, Miss Veronica has just told us how she began to open up those boxes, how the Lord began to unveil and open those boxes where she had stored away all of her memories and how he, he let her know that these were things that had to be dealt with. That's why I talk about deliverance on this show. We have to deal with, the Lord wants us to deal with the things in our past that keep us bound. But anyway, I'm not going to start preaching here because I want Miss Veronica to tell us as much as she can before the show ends. Come on, Miss Veronica.
4: Testify. <laughs> Well,
3: one thing that I started off this program with is saying that one of my key verses was that God's grace was sufficient. Now, this was something that tormented me through the whole counseling process up until this point, is that I kept, I was very puzzled. I thought that God was mad at me. I kept thinking, well, maybe I didn't quote enough scriptures, because I definitely came from a faith doctrine, and, and his You know, if I quoted enough scriptures in the battlefield of the mind that I can just conquer this by any time a bad feeling would come, not have to even acknowledge it because, you know, I'm blessed, I'm redeemed, and, you know, I'm prosperous, amen. And then that would seal the deal. And, you know, here I am now in smack dab in the middle of therapy, and all this stuff is coming up, and I kept thinking, Lord, I thought your grace was sufficient. I thought that I was never supposed to even look back. I almost felt like I was, you know, walking in sin, even looking back. And mm. then another friend of mine who happens to be a, a clinical psychologist herself, but she was just a friend. And I was talking to her about this. And I said, yeah, but I don't understand because I thought God's grace is deficient. And she said, well, Veronica, it is. And she said, you're... Um, Doctrine is right, but your interpretation of it is wrong. And she said, "Your his grace is sufficient. He said, but God's grace isn't so that you never have to look back. God's grace is so that you can look back And he can take you to those places of pain And he can heal them And that those open wounds that are still there Can scar up just as he has scarred And they can proclaim healing in his name And oh my gosh I could have done cartwheels And I am 5'10", have never done a cartwheel a day in my life I tell you what, that was so liberating to me Now that would open the door to yet another box because now I'm understanding, okay, that God's going to give me grace to be able to look back at anything, and so I go into another therapy session. And by this time, I'm feeling kind of good. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm feeling really good. We've accomplished much in a very short period of time, and and we had God was fast tracking this. God had a plan in mind, and most certainly fulfilled it. And so we're probably about month three into this, and I've been seeing sometimes two to three times a week. And he said, okay, well, is there anything you want to discuss today? And I said, no, you know what, I'm actually feeling pretty good. He goes, okay, well, then what I'm going to ask is I want to know how far back this goes because you have shared some stories where there seems to be some generational curses here. It does seem that there are some patterns. He said, so go back as far in your family line that you know of and then tell me about the different members in your family. Well, I don't know too far back. I only know as far back as my grandparents. And so I went, as you know, far as my grandparents and told them, you know, about them and then my mom and then my aunts and uncles and, her, you know, her brother's. And then my siblings and also, you know, their spouses. And I went into everybody. And, I I mean, it took literally, I mean, for such a short family line, I could only go back one generation or two generations. It took me close to a half hour to go through every sickness, every death, um, every divorce, every attempted suicide. I mean, and I was just rattling off like it was just the day at the beach. I mean, this is information I'd grown up with. It was no big deal to me. And so he was writing feverishly, and every once in a while he'd look up at me, and then, you know, he goes, okay, continue. And when we're all done, he said, is there anyone else? And I said, nope, I will do it. He goes, he looked back down, he goes, I've never seen anything like this. And now, mind you, he is 25 years into this. He was going to retire, and the Lord told him not to. The year before, he said, no, I'm not ready for you to retire. And when he met me, he knew that that was the reason why he wasn't allowed to retire, that the Lord was going to use him as part of this and his, his information on generational curses. And so as he was looking at the genealogy, he said, I've never seen anything like this in my 25 years of practice. And I said, really? He goes, "Ronica, no one escaped. And I said, no. No one did. He goes, Not one person hasn't been met with calamity. And I said, No. And he looked up and he asked me and he didn't he didn't probe it as a question. He made a statement. He said, Which one of your family members was involved in the occult?
2: And now before I, now be, hold on, before you before you share that part, I want the readers the listeners, I'm sorry, to know that as far as people escaping, this also is uh, referring to the sexual abuse,
3: correct? Oh, n- not one female family member, not one, was not violated, um, sexually violated and usually by another family member, um, yes. save one. And even that one, I'm not thoroughly convinced she was sexually violated, but I think she was also sexually violated by another family member. And not one of us only has one um, perpetrator. I need mm-hmm. both hands to count the number of times I was um well, actually, I need all my fingers and toes, the numbers the time I was violated. But I need both of my hands to count the number of perpetrators. And most every other female in my family can say the same thing.
5: Mm-hmm. And
3: so he was just, he was aghast at what he was looking at. And he, that's when he asked me what member of my family is part of the occult, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, he didn't say was any member or do you know of. I mean, he just went, which one? It was so clear to him. And I went, my grandparents were. My grandfather was a high priest in a satanic coven, and my grandmother was the head witch. And when my mom was just five years old, they brought her into that satanic coven, and they offered her up as the virgin sacrifice. And Hmm. so they allowed every member of that coven to take their turns with her. And when they were done, they actually did an animal sacrifice. And he, my grandfather, made a pledge to Satan that he could have every member of our family in exchange for his power. Now, I don't know if anyone can quite grasp what it's like to be promised to Satan before you're ever even conceived, but let Mm -hmm. me tell you something. It's no walk in the park. When you are born with a bullseye on your back and you've got this generational curse coming down, I mean, there's literally trouble on every corner. I had my first violent sexual assault and torture when I was just four years old. So this is something that I was raised with. Didn't know about the witchcraft until I was actually in my early twenties. I had no idea. But when that was revealed to me, it was absolutely no small wonder. And I brought that into my marriage. And so here I am. I've been almost attempted raped two times in the first year of our marriage. We're having chronic illness. Everything's going on. Another member of church and found out that we were sick again. My husband and I were sick again. And he said, he came over to our house, he was an elder, and he said, Something's not right here. And again, this is my life. There is nothing extraordinary about it. This is just how life is. I didn't even have anything to compare it to. So when he was saying that something's not right, I went, Really? And, Jerry, then my husband said, I've never been so sick so often. We can't get well. And he said, Jerry, you need to take authority over your household. You, for whatever reason, you've got some assignment on you, and you need to break that curse, and it's not a big deal because Christ already paid the price. But you need to establish that you're going to be walking in the blood of Jesus, that you both are blood-bought and purchased, and that Mm -hmm. Satan is not allowed to touch you guys anymore from this day on. So my husband and I, we went, okay. He said a short prayer. It was nothing eloquent. We didn't, you know, pray in tongues for two hours. I mean, it was just like, okay, the scripture says it. We got a couple scriptures, and we went, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you've broken every um, generational curse on our family line. Thank you that we're blood-bought. And every assignment that's been, you know, assigned to us in the name of Jesus, we call it cursed. And from here on out, we walk in blessing. uh, For heaven's sake, that's all it took. I mean, from that point on, now, I mean, we could get the occasional coronal flu, so, you know, I'm I'm not getting all freaky on you, but, I mean, the the assignment was clearly broken. We could look back at that day and go, from then on out, we were, you know, walking in safety, we had a new peace, um, we wouldn't get sick all the time and unable to recover, and so um, when I was talking to Dr. Storm about this and he said how did you how did you injure because it seems like it stopped, and I I went back to that day when that elder came to our home. And nobody knew about the witchcraft at that point. We could just, the evidence was so clear. And, yes, you know, in the name of Jesus, that generational curse was broken over me, and praise God I was able to bring children into a new family line, into being blood-bought, and we have raised our kids in the Word and letting them know who they are in Christ and with the divine of protection and with psalms 91 um in revelation it tells them that they overcame the evil one you overcome satan with the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony Mm -hmm. so you do apply the blood you acknowledge that jesus paid the price but then you have to speak it out for whatever reason god gave us the power to have life and death in this tongue of ours and so we have to proclaim that i choose life I choose it for my descendants, for my children, and from here on out, I'm going to walk in it. One of the most extraordinary things I've ever heard, and it bears repeating, is that life is not a playground. It is a battlefield. And there are so many times, you know, when you, you come under attack, and what's your first question? Well, what did I do wrong? I must have done something wrong because I now have an attack on me. Or we ask the opposite what am I doing right? Because apparently I'm doing something right because Satan's trying to stop me. But what soldier goes into battle when the enemy comes out against him and shoots? He's never puzzled. He never asks the question did I do something wrong? Did I do something right? No, he's a soldier. He's in a, a war. The minute that the Satan or the enemy starts attacking, he's like, bring it, and he starts running towards the enemy. It's, he doesn't stop and ask questions. And so anytime time we're under attack, the scriptures already tell us that we're not even supposed to think it's strange when these fiery trials come to test us, as though some strange thing has happened to us life is a battlefield it's we're in a war here people it's light versus dark it's good versus evil and now hold it
2: hold it hold it unfortunately i have to interrupt right here oh i would love for us to continue because i love talking about the word of god i love talking about overcoming coming being conquerors in christ i need to know if you I know you and I have talked about you coming back on the show. My husband just, he just left me, he wrote me a note right here and he said, see if she can come back next week. I don't know if that's possible for you to continue next week, but I want to give you, to- oh, we're out of time. People, we're out of time. You've got to get Miss Veronica's book, Boxes of Secrets. If I can get her to come back next week, I will. If not, she will be back sometime, hopefully maybe in April or May. And you've got to get this book to hear the rest. Love you, Miss Veronica. I'm going to call you, okay?
3: Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> it was my privilege.
2: All